Keeping sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We must create an international progressive community that stands for social, economic, racial, and religious justice for all. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy. Oh, when you see, you're when not you, going to use the mob I will, word Oh, here. It's, it's totally a mob. It is without a doubt. Matt, it's, it's, there's no other word Matt. for it. It is up to us to rededicate ourselves to the traditions and wisdom of our founders. And it is up to us to renew the bonds of love, loyalty, and affection that link us all together as one great American family. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I, I so enjoy that we get to have callers on the show and that people come on and share their opinions with us. And um, so we're really grateful for that. I'm also super grateful that next week is share And so I just want to ask you as listeners to prayerfully consider partnering with us so that we can keep this fantastic live radio that comes direct to you without very much of the, the, you know, the, it's the commercials that fund commercial radio. But for us here at urban family talk and American family radio, it's the listeners, your listeners supported. And so Think of it in the same way that you think of your your uh, favorite contemporary music stations that sing the Christian music and bring you all of the fantastic new Christian artists. And those are listener supported and they have partnership that they request twice a year the same way that we do. It's the same situation. And we are so blessed to be on the radio. We're so blessed to be with you. And we need you to partner with us so that we can continue to do that. And it brings you, you know, it's the, instead of commercials over the break, you have, uh, you know, teaching and preaching and, and information about what we're doing here. So it, there it's, and you have more minutes of content per hour than you do on commercial radio. And so if, you know, if you listen to the podcast on commercial radio, you notice how short an hour is without the commercials with ours, it's, it's a longer amount of content, more content per hour that you get. So just pointing that out and asking you guys to just think think about next week. We're going to be having Sherathon for three days, Tuesday through Thursday. I will actually be doing that from here. Um, we actually have family uh, obligations that I need to travel for after Sherathon, so I will not be traveling to Tupelo for Sherathon. But it'll still be the same fantastic program, um, and so I'm, I can't wait to get to that. Right now, I want to talk to you about hour two. So we're in hour two of the program. Last hour, we spoke to Benny Johnson of The Daily Caller. This hour, we're going to speak to Lauren Enriquez, frequent guest of the program. She's from Human Coalition. She's going to come on and talk to us about the Gosnell movie. And, uh, you know, the, the left has already tried to make it seem as if this is just a failure. And, of course, they don't want the truth to come out about what's going on in the country, you know, safe, legal, and rare out the window. But there's a lot to, to know and understand about it. And the Gosnell movie is something that we, we need to support it. Um, if, we, if we're going to walk the talk, we got to support it. So she'll come on and talk to us about that news of the day. Uh, right now, you got Hillary Clinton saying Republicans only understand power. And, you know, so we heard her say that there's, there's no way you get civility unless... Um, 
they're in charge. But here she is talking about how Republicans only understand power as number two. You heard how the Republican members, led by Mitch McConnell, the president, really demeaned the confirmation process, uh, insulted uh, and attacked not only uh, Dr. Ford, but women who were speaking out. You know, look, I remember Republican operatives shutting down the voting in Florida uh, in 2000. I remember the swift voting of John Kerry. He deserved I remember it. the things that even the Republican Party did uh, to John McCain in 2000. I remember what, what they did to me for 25 years, the falsehoods, the lies, which unfortunately about? people believe because the Republicans have put a lot of time, money, and effort in promoting them. So when you're dealing with an ideological party that is driven by the lust for power, that is funded by corporate interests who want a government that does its bidding, it's hard. you can be civil, but you can't overcome what they intend to do unless you win elections. So let me get this straight. All of the information about, starting with Whitewater in, Arizona, uh, in Arkansas, and going all the way up to present day, all that information about the malfeasance of the Clintons is a fabrication by the Republicans? Do you hear the propaganda that is coming out of this chick's mouth? It's lies. It's corporate interests funding the Republicans. If they got George Soros, hundreds of organizations funded by George Soros, and those are the organizations that pay these protesters, these mobsters, to come around and crack heads and destroy public property. And it's the Republicans who are to blame for the fact that Americans think badly of Hillary Clinton. You know, if she'd just stay gone for a little bit, if she'd just take a year off, people would probably start liking her again. You know how that is. Out of sight, out of mind. You start to, you know, kind of whitewash the, histor the historical record. And then before you know it, you're like, she's not so bad. As long as the person stays out of sight, you're like, mm, not so bad. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I would feel that way. But generally speaking, most Americans tend, the presidential approval ratings go up after the president leaves office. The ratings go up because people kind of get nostalgic and they miss them. And they, they don't remember the bad parts. They just remember the good parts. Thank God that he made us that way because otherwise we'd be constantly, we'd always be mad. We just wouldn't be able to get over anything. So I mentioned to you that you've got Brooke Baldwin uh, on CNN getting totally triggered when this conservative guest, it was Matt Lewis, uses the M word on air. Check this out. It's number four. Nothing that happened, uh, you know, last week is going to matter to the person who's already upset about all the other things Donald Trump has done. Democrats were motivated, passionate, angry. Sure. They are either going to turn out or they're not. Republicans, they're the team that needed the, the excitement, the passion, the energy. They didn't have it. In midterms, that's what matters for turnout, and now I think they do. And it's because I believe it's the overreaction of the left. When you see people like Ted Cruz getting chased out of restaurants by a mob. Oh, when you see, you're when not you, going to use the mob I will, word Oh, it's, it's totally a mob. It is without a there's doubt. I mean, it's, it's, there's no other word Matt. for it. It's a, go watch it. Put up a the mob, video. Stop, stop. A, Put mob, up the video. a mob is what we saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, two Augusts ago. No, a mob is both. not what we saw chasing. I'm what not about, saying what, what they the did people, was right. What about the people who were at the Supreme Court banging on the walls? What do you mobby. call that? Civil protest? Or is that a mob? I think it's easily a mob. 
Yeah, and if it were Tea Partiers, we'd call it a mob for sure. Come on, let's be serious. <laughs> and you know they would. Oh, come on. The Tea Party people would clean up the venue where they had their event. It'd be so spotless. It looked better than it was when they, before they came with the, the, uh, the rally. When the Tea Party used to have events, they would literally come in and they'd have their all their all, all the porta potties, the permits, everything, lights, stage, they'd do the thing, and then people would go through and they'd comb the area for any trash and they'd clean it all up and, and put it into the trash receptacle, some of which had to be hauled away off site. And it that's just the way it was. And I, I can't tell you how many tea party rallies I went to, how many protests I went to where People came, and if there was any trash on the street when they were getting ready to leave the protest, they would take it. No signs left behind, no, no dirty tissues, no water bottles, nothing. Not only were they not violent, they were, they were neat freaks. So I just, uh, you know, just bringing up the Tea Party in the same sentence as what we're saying now is so unacceptable. Um, so what I, what I want to do now is I want to just, I think we, we should be praying for the safety of our elected officials and that's all of them. Obviously, um, you know, I don't see a lot of Democrats being threatened right now, but all of them, we need to pray for their safety. And I want the same way that we committed ourselves to pray for judge Kavanaugh and his family. When we sat down to our meals, I want to continue to have these people, these elected officials, these people who we've placed in authority over us through our, you know, through our consent of the governed, we still have to be willing to acknowledge these people need our, they need prayer. They need us to pray for them and they need us to spend our time um, when, when we go to the Lord in prayer to include them in what we're praying about. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of scripture that is available for us to pray over them, um, praying for those who are elected in authority um, over us is, is a requirement. The Bible tells us to do it. And look, what happens is we get upset and we get angry and I'm right there with you. We see the rhetoric from Cory Booker and Maxine Waters and we, we know that's wrong. But we have to pray for these people so that our hearts aren't hardened and we don't become, you know, we, we begin on the same path to, to becoming like them. We have to stay where our hearts have to stay soft and we have to stay sweetly willing to pray, pray for them. And it's hard. I mean, this is not like this isn't what I wrote on the show sheet because I want to, I, you know, I definitely feel like we should pray for Cory Booker, but we, we have to. Um, the Bible says in first Timothy two, two for Kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Pray this way. The new living translation says, pray this way for Kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godly godliness and dignity. Now, so what do we, what do we see? We see a lack of godliness and a lack of dignity out of those who are on the political left, the activist part. 
And I appreciate the call first hour from the, the, the young woman who called in and said she leans to the left and she believes in hygiene and she's not she's not prone to violence and she doesn't condone it. I appreciate that. Um, and I know there are many, many others out there like that, like like her. And so she may, she and I may not agree politically, but I totally concur with her that people like her exist and that it's not everybody. But there are enough protesters and enough people saying things that are unhinged that we do have an atmosphere of fear and recrimination and a lot of people feeling like something bad is imminent. And that is the fight or flight response. And it's accurate. So it's not I'm not discounting that I'm not taking back anything I said before. But I'm acknowledging her phone call and that there are other people out there who believe, you know, kind of they're, they're on the left or in the middle and they don't believe in the violence and they're, they're repulsed by it as well. But I would say if you are someone who voted for uh, Maxine Waters or if you're living in a district of someone like Cory Booker and you hear what he's saying, it, that's when you get on the phone and call his office and you call his office in D.C. and you leave a message and you say, I'm a constituent and I voted for you. Stop calling for violence. They get enough phone calls like that. They'll realize, okay, maybe we've gone too far. Anyone can do it. I am in no way saying that a Republican can't go too far, that President Trump can't go too far. Any person, if you're alive and walking and kicking and breathing, you can go too far. The question is, if you go too far, are you willing to say, you know what? I went too far. If you go too far, are you willing to say, you know what, I need to pray for some repentance and I need to stop saying things like that? You know, if you're not a religious person, which I, I'm not sure about Cory Booker's religious leanings, how about just I went too far? I got to take that back. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I want to win. I don't like what's going on, but I don't want anybody to get hurt. I, I'll take it. I'll take any of that. I'm sure I'm not alone in that either. In some ways, it's really good because as you, it, I'm Stacy on the right. I don't want a whole lot of Democrats winning in November. I don't want them to stop the president's agenda. I don't want them gumming up the works for what we have um, that is that is going so well for us here in this country. And speaking of that, I'm going to give you a list of the fantastic things the 115th Congress has been able to accomplish. Water infrastructure answered the president's call to address the nation's water infrastructure by authorizing the Army Corps to construct, expedite, modify, or study more than 100 water resource projects. And more. I have a whole list here, and it's lengthy. So stay there. We'll be back with Lauren Enriquez right after this. You guys are truly an asset to the radio waves in Memphis, and see we appreciate having you guys speak truth. And I know that you guys honestly are trying to be led by the Holy Spirit. If we call Satan's tactics and his agenda out clearly, you guys provide good resources for us to better equip ourselves to walk in Christ. And uh, you guys are just a true asset. Thank you for doing the things that you guys do, but also even just adding truth to the African-American community in a time of chaos and in a time of uncertainty. Um, you guys take us right back to the Bible, which is the only true and certain entity in this present world. And so we thank you. 
Pray for God's blessing on our upcoming share so that we can continue to make a difference. share begins Tuesday, October 16th here on listener-supported Urban Family Talk. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Last month, I quoted from Victor Davis Hanson's article on the origins of our second civil war. One of his explanations focused on our college campuses, and his insightful analysis is worth more than a few sentences I devoted to it a month ago. He argues that higher education helped split the country in two. For example, college campuses competed for scarcer students by styling themselves as club med type resorts. This included upscale dorms with phenomenal buffets and lavish gyms. In fact, everything a student might want was right there on the campus. This not only increased the cost of college, but shielded them from the realities of the outside world. They graduated with massive student loan debt and headed out into the world as snowflakes. At the same time, universities were becoming more left-wing. Of course, liberal ideas have always had a home on college campuses, but they weren't just liberal, but leftists. As I've tried to document in previous commentaries, there is a striking difference between the two. A liberal would allow different points of view on campus. A leftist would prevent certain views from being expressed and shout down speakers they did not like and believed were not politically correct. Doesn't that sound like what is happening on campus today? Finally, the curriculum on many colleges became therapeutic. Instead, many courses merely attempted to provide reading and study skills that should have been developed in middle school and high school. Hansen writes that so many students left college mostly ignorant of the skills necessary to read, write, and argue effectively, lacking a general body of shared knowledge. He therefore concludes that a generation ignorant, arrogant, and poor is a prescription for social volatility. This is one major reason why we have so much division in America today. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. I want to give a shout out to my call screener and my producer and my associate producer. Um, I want to say thanks. They do a fantastic job for my program here. And uh, I'm, I'm a part of the team. We're all a team together and it's wonderful to work with them. And so I just want to shout them out and say thanks. Um, and so right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest. She's been on the program a ton of times, always brings fantastic commentary and really the best, the best that we can get on here. I love having good guests on. Lauren Enriquez, she's a public relations manager for Human Coalition. Lauren, thanks for joining in today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to talk to you. Yeah, I, I love having you on. And, and today is no different, although the topic is a bit somber. And I thought we could first go over the movie, and then I wanted to get your take on um, really the story du jour, which is that the protesters have turned violent, and now the leadership in the Democratic Party has also kind of jumped on board to say, yeah, this is what we want. Uh, But first, let's talk about it. The Gosnell movie, it's out already? It is coming out on Friday, and actually my theater is going to start showing it on Thursday night, so there might be other theaters that are doing that as well. Okay, check your local listings, folks. Uh, you you can check your um, on your Fandango app or your uh, Flix app on your phone, or you can just go straight to your movie's website and check and see when it's coming out. So let's talk about it. We we all remember the story. Gosnell was a butcher. He actually was responsible for women dying. 
Um, he kept a kind of a clinic of horrors and he stored babies that he'd aborted in jars in the refrigerator and freezer there at the clinic. It was unclean, unsanitary, disgusting, deplorable conditions. What does the movie bring to the viewers to kind of help them understand what happened here in America, in modern day America? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie really does help to convey the fact that abortion is a genocide and that it is perpetrated by a really vicious ideology that is doing carrying out horrible acts of violence. So Osnell is a good example of kind of the abortion industry at large. He's not necessarily an anomaly. He was a very odd individual um, personally, uh, but Gosnell operated uh, in a very impoverished area of Philadelphia for many decades. Uh, and during that time, as you stated, he basically ran a house of horrors. There were women who died as a result of his malpractice. Um, he had a history of delivering children alive and then snipping their necks after they were born. That kind of shows you the schizophrenia of abortion because we think of that as a horrific thing to do to a human being. And that is why he was eventually indicted and will spend his life in prison. But if he had killed those children inside of the womb, it would have been perfectly legal and God know would likely still be in operation today. So what the movie does is it, it's kind of set up as a law and order episode versus a horror film, because even though Gosnell's story is a horror story and it could have been made into a very gruesome um, for adult eyes only type of story, Andrew Clavin, the writer and the producer, Nick Searcy, and the, the directors got together and decided they wanted this to be a story that was accessible to a larger audience to teenagers, to adults who wouldn't necessarily want to see a horror film. So they set it up like a, a courtroom drama, uh, and they tell the story of, of Gosnell's uh, practice and what eventually led to authorities taking action after knowing about what he was doing for decades, finally taking action. They tell that story in a non-gruesome, non-graphic way. Andrew Clavin did a great job with the script. I've seen the film already. Um, it's very, very well done. Dean Cain plays one of the main characters. Um, so they've got an all-star cast, a great writer, uh, and they really did make the story something that is so somber and so horrifying. They made it accessible to a larger audience. And I hope people do go and see the film. Um, you can find a theater that is showing it near you at gosnellmovie.com slash theaters. So if your local theater isn't showing it, there might be one a little further down the road that is. Okay, Lauren, so you know how difficult this subject matter is. And for people who are squeamish and don't go see R-rated films and aren't into horror movies, mm-hmm. you did you did say it's presented as a Law & Order episode, which it, that's tolerable. Law & Order episodes are, are pretty tolerable. But have they been able to convey the story without it being so... I know it's a gruesome story. And to truthfully okay. tell it, it is going to be gruesome. But is it still safe enough for a person who might be you know squeamish or might have difficulty with you know, gore and things like that, can can that person still tolerate the movie? Yes, absolutely. It is set up like a Law & Order episode. There are bits of dialogue where the realities of, of what was found in Gosnell's clinic are kind of laid out, but there is nothing visually gory in the film. Uh, I think they did a very good job of keeping it palatable to a large audience. And I would really encourage people to take teenagers to see it, because this is something that our, our younger generation really needs to understand. 
So it's definitely accessible if you do kind of want the horror story version of of what Gosnell's practice was like. You can read the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report about what they found in Gosnell's clinic, or you can read the book, um, Gosnell, America's Biggest Serial Killer, which was kind of the precursor to the movie. Those two things definitely go through the gore in detail. But if you don't want to see that or, or hear about it, the movie will definitely be accessible to you. Okay, thank you for that, because I know there are many listeners who would, would definitely go and see the movie, but they can't tolerate the, you know, the 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 gory aspects. And, and yeah. I'm one of those people, I don't watch the, the Walking Dead, you know, I don't, I, I feel like real life is scary enough without uh, watching <laughs> horror movies. And I used to be able to watch it, like, I was in my 20s and my 30s. But I was joking around with some other moms that I know that once once you have kids and you get along in your marriage a few years, you're like, you know what? Real life's pretty scary. Like we have, you know, you know, people who are going through things that you're like, wow, that is so horrifying. And you want to you want to like minimize your exposure to it. I'm glad that that's the case, because that means we can take our teenagers to see it and and, you know, kind of. It's, it's not like you want to make a family event out of it, but we kind of do because we don't want to forget. That's what happens when you forget in the Bible, when, when the people forget, when the Israelites would forget what they were taught, they would stray away and then they'd be carried off into captivity and they'd have all these problems. And for us, uh, especially for the Christian community, I don't believe we fully understand what's going on with abortion in this country. We just know some numbers and we know that it's, it's bad, but this is one of the worst cases in the history of this country. And um, it, it's we, we've got to face it head on so we know what to pray for. Uh, I really appreciate you seeing it first so you could give us uh, this, you know, the synopsis so we know we can we can head out and see it. Um, so turning to the the calls to violence that that we're seeing from now Attorney General Eric Holder um, and others, Hillary Clinton, Cory Booker, Maxine Waters, Bernie Sanders. What do you make of I mean, that? Obviously, they're doing this because they want to incite the base, but they're not inciting them to vote. They're inciting them to violence. What do you make of it? You know, it might sound harsh, but to me, a party that endorses ripping preborn children out of their mother's wombs, I, I have no sense of shock over them calling people to lesser acts of violence at this point. I feel like this is just kind of true colors being shown. Um, and hopefully the American public will be able to, to start to recognize that this is a party that endorses violence towards the most vulnerable members of our human family. And so we shouldn't be surprised when these other calls of violence um, are, are being um, given out. And, you know, we're actually seeing these calls to violence being taken up by a particularly abortion advocates um, in Canada and in the United States. There's been an uptick in violence toward pro-life demonstrators and conservatives. So the the calls to violence are already being taken up. And I think it was Rand Paul who said today or yesterday that he's mm-hmm. actually worried that somebody is going to get assassinated in the near future because that's the point to which we've escalated. But for me, I mean, I am a pro-life activist, so it always does come back to what did we expect when we set up a society where it was okay to, to violently kill the youngest and most vulnerable members of our society, did we just expect everything else to remain peaceful? It doesn't really make sense. No, it doesn't. And you make an excellent point about the abortion issue. And I, I've been knitting that together here on the show as often as possible to demonstrate that if you're, if you're okay with abortion, 
then you're pretty much okay with anything. You know, you can't say, well, I'm not okay with it, but I believe it should be legal because other people should be able to do it. That's like saying, I would never murder anyone, but I'm okay if other people who find, you know, people in their lives inconvenient, if they murder them, that's their right. That's the equivalent of what's being said. And I saw a lot of arguments. I think it was Steve King who sent out a, a tweet celebrating the installment of Justice Kavanaugh by saying that, you know, this this is a victory. He's going to bring down Roe v. Wade and, and it'll be a victory for babies. And he showed a picture of a sweet little baby, um, you know, obviously a baby, you know, not not a baby in the womb. He said protecting uh-huh. these babies while they're in the womb. So he did specify the baby would still be in the womb and get protection. And the backlash online was so swift and fierce and ridiculous. And I, I just thought to myself, well, I mean, what is it that you think is in there, really? Like, what do you think, if, if it's a baby when it's coming out, when it gets on the outside, it's a baby. What do you think it is when it's in there? It's still a baby. Yeah, this is why lately I've just been really focusing on this idea that there is a schizophrenic cognitive dissonance when it comes to abortion. We consider the child a child the moment it's born, even if it's born at 23 weeks gestation, when it's mm-hmm. perfectly legal to kill in most states. Um, we have this dissonance where we've, it's almost like we've literally turned off parts of our brain because they're not consonant with the laws that we want to be in place. So hats off to Steve King for trying mm-hmm. to draw attention to that. But yeah, I'm not surprised to hear about the backlash. Yeah, it's it is it is a different world online. Um, and, and I do find that regular people, so regular people who are Democrats, they'll often express that they don't support abortion, but they do vote for Democrats because they support the other policies, the, you know, the redistribution of wealth and, uh, you know, bigger government, et cetera, because they feel like that's the only way anything's going to get done. But it ha- there has to be a place where you can, you know, you're. I won't step past this line. You know, you're, it's your it's right. your point of no return. And it's one thing when you hear people who aren't Christians say that, you know, well, abortion is just a necessary evil. It's another thing to hear Christians say it. People who, you know, you know, you know, they're going to church. You've seen them. You know, they're going to Bible study. You've seen them. And they're also voting for Democrats and advocating for abortion. That to me is kind of like you said, it's a cognitive dissonance. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we have to realize when we're sacrificing innocent people as collateral damage for other things that we want in our life. Yeah. And sex on demand. I think. Yeah. yeah. The, the whole sexual revolution and the idea that you just get to do whatever you want with your body and, you know, repercussions don't matter. Um, so I, I also wanted to touch base with you really quickly as we get to the end of this segment about praying for those who are placed in authority over us, you know, the Bible calls for us to do that. And I know it's tough because a lot of people are feeling, you know, kind of a justified anger against people in Washington, D.C. who are behaving outside of what they're being paid to do. Um, but the Bible calls for us to pray for those who are placed in authority over us. Absolutely. And at Human Coalition, where I work, we, we pray every day for our elected officials because one, they are a reflection of America. Our elected officials were elected by us, and so we bear some of the responsibility for who we put into office. But once they're there, we have to continue to pray for them because it's not just the repercussions of their decisions are not just going to affect us. They're going to affect people who can't do anything for themselves. So 
we have to pray for them that they'll make the right decision on behalf of vulnerable populations like the pre-born. Uh, and we take that calling very seriously. But it, it does require us, I guess, to humble ourselves a bit because a lot of times we do have a righteous anger toward the injustices that are being carried out by these elected officials themselves. So it's difficult, but maybe that can add to our prayer. That difficulty and that struggle can, can strengthen our prayer. Amen to that. Um, it's wonderful to hear that you get to do that at work. And um, I just think that's fantastic. Um, I wanted to say thank you, Lauren, for coming on the show today. Lauren Enriquez, Public Relations Manager for Human Coalition. Could you give us the Gosnell Movie website again? Sure. It's gosnellmovie.com, and you can find your theater at gosnellmovie.com slash theaters. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much for joining the show today, and uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you, Stacey. We'll talk to you. All right. Perfect. Um, so uh, it's, we're getting close to the end of this segment. And if you would like to call in and join the program before the end of the show, uh, you're welcome to do so. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. We're going to be talking about this list that I have of President Trump's accomplishments. What an interesting list it is. I gave you the first one. The first one is the water infrastructure tax. And, and this is, I'm sorry, President Trump's accomplishments. Sure, but it's the 115th Congress. Tax reform. They reformed America's tax code for the first time in 31 years. Transforming the courts. Confirmed President Trump's judicial nominees at a historic pace. 69 in total, including Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. 26 circuit judges and 41 district court judges. Appropriations provided certainty to the American people with the restored regular order appropriations process by passing nine of 12 appropriations bills through the Senate and sending five of those bills to the president's desk. They've enacted the most on-time appropriations bills in 22 years and funded 75% of the government on schedule. Now, they're calling that an accomplishment, but I don't know. Continuing to fund Planned Parenthood, I'm going to have to count that as a... FAA bill. They passed a five-year authorization bill to modernize airport infrastructure, landmark opioid legislation, combating the nation's worst public health crisis with a package of proposals, including stopping fentanyl at the border and spurring development of new non-addictive painkillers, funding to combat the opioid abuse, drug price transparency, the farm bill, defense, veterans, safe medications, regulatory reform, educating America's workforce, energy, banking reform, hope for the terminally ill, fighting sex trafficking, Obamacare by repealing the individual mandate, fighting terrorism, issuing sanctions against Iran, Russia, and North Korea, reigning in the regulators, healthcare for children, and school safety. That's quite a list. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Americans have watched in horror as Judge Brett Kavanaugh suffered a political hit job, a smear campaign intended to derail the nomination and energize Democratic voters. At first, it seemed to be working, but just three weeks later, voter enthusiasm on the political right is surging. People are engaged and outraged with righteous indignation at the low politics in evidence. God's word has a thing or two to say about setting traps to ensnare others. Don't do it. If you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush you instead. 
They spread a net for my feet. My soul was despondent. They dug a pit before me, but they themselves have fallen into it. He who leads the upright along the path of evil will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit what is good. The trap set to destroy an innocent will only catch you. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Hello, I'm James. I couldn't stop the drug use. I had made it up in my mind that I wouldn't see 21. Teen Challenge has given me a hope. This is a place of restoration and a place of true freedom. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Just as David's mighty man, Beniah, chased down a lion into a pit on a snowy day. Lion Chasers champions uncommon men and women of faith who are unafraid to stand up and speak truth to power in these dark and evil days. Never before has there been such a need for people of faith to draw a line in the sand with a sword of truth. Lion Chasers, the intersection of faith and public policy with Lonnie Poindexter. Weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is House Call for Health. Maybe there's a good reason for that old adage, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Researchers say a chemical compound in apples, strawberries, and many other fruits and vegetables can slow down the aging process. It has to do with our cells. As we get older, our bodies become less able to clear out damaged cells that are no longer able to divide. And that can cause inflammation and tissue damage. But new research on mice finds that a chemical known as fisetin can help get rid of damaged cells improving health and extending lifespan. The research published in the journal eBiomedicine says the chemical could help protect against strokes and Alzheimer's disease. But there has been no research done on humans, and while eating food containing fisetin is safe, some studies say there is a potential cancer risk if too much is consumed. For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Joy Piazza, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. What's your response to Hillary Clinton saying last night's swearing in of Judge Kavanaugh was a more political event than it was a national event? I guess that's why she lost. She doesn't get it. She never did. I knew that a long time ago. Hillary never got it. That's why she lost. Well, he does not pull any punches. That was President Trump. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's why she lost. She didn't, she didn't get it. He does not hesitate. The snapbacks are quick and uh, they're bruising. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's get into, there's a couple, couple things. Um, first off, we've mentioned a couple times over the past few days about this idea that Democrats are running on health care, even though they're the purveyors of Obamacare, but they want to preserve it because of pre-existing conditions is a bit of an issue. Well, now there's a little bit of chicanery going on up uh, on Capitol Hill. You have Senate Democrats forcing centrist and vulnerable Republicans to take a tricky vote today aimed at forcing them to pick a side on the Trump administration's handling of Obamacare. The vote is on a discharge petition by Senator Tammy Baldwin to block health insurance companies from selling short-term plans, a type of coverage extended under President Trump as an alternative to Obamacare plans that Democrats and the health care laws allies deride as junk insurance. 
The legislative maneuver is part of Democrats' ongoing strategy to keep health care at the center of the conversation. People say they're for protecting people with pre-existing conditions. People say they're for making sure p- people have basic standards. They have an opportunity to prove it tomorrow. And that's Senator Brian D. Schatz, Democrat from Ohio. It's a long shot in the Senate where it has the support of 49 Democrats, but would need to pick up two Republican votes. But it would force all Senate Republicans once again to take a tough Obamacare vote. Senators Collins and Maine told reporters on Tuesday that she was undecided about it. Murkowski from Alaska who opposed earlier GOP efforts to replace Obamacare, said she would be voting against it. Now, Dean Heller is a Republican from Nevada. He's one of the most vulnerable Republican incumbents, did not respond to requests for comments on this story. It would be blocked in the House, and Donald Trump has already said he would veto it in his role as president. So it has no chance of actually going anywhere, but that's the point of them bringing it forward, is to force them to go on the record so they can make ads about how Republicans want to steal your health care. And again, I have to say, the person who stole health care from Americans was Barack Obama and the Democrats who passed Obamacare. Obamacare didn't provide more options to people. It took options away. President Trump is trying to restore those by offering people the ability to get some of those plans back that were taken from them. And what we want is to see that actually happen. We want to see People have more options. And, you know, obviously here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, we also love MediShare. If you're in one of those Obamacare markets where you only have one offering and it's, you know, five, $6,000 a month or it's 2,000% higher than what you were paying before, MediShare is the option that will save you the most money and you'll still have full coverage. So, you know, think about doing that. Um, and then also breaking news is CBS thinking of becoming the future of healthcare with their just approved health insurance merger. So this is CVS, the pharmacy giant. They're actually purchasing, well, you know, they have the Minute Clinics. First of all, if you're unaware, they have something called Minute Clinic where you can go and get a sports physical. If you have, you know, an eye infection or something, you know, anything that doesn't involve surgery or blood work, you can go to one of these clinics and they'll prescribe you medication and you'll be seen by a nurse practitioner. So now they're going to expand the types of healthcare that they offer because they're purchasing Aetna, the third largest health insurance company in the U.S. And they're claiming that their focus will be at the local and community level, taking advantage of our thousands of locations and touch points throughout the country to intervene with consumers to help predict and prevent potential health problems before they occur. Now, this is CVS Chief Executive Larry Merlot speaking to Washington Post. Now, CVS and Aetna had to sell Aetna's Medicare Part D prescription drug business to get the deal approved by the Department of Justice, and they'd announced their intention to purchase Aetna for nearly $70 billion in December of 2017. So uh, it's an interesting development you can almost see, because I here in, in the St. Louis metro area, they have a number of urgent care centers that are mostly run by the hospitals here. They're like little clinics where you can go and get certain things seen, and you can get seen pretty quickly. So instead of going to the emergency room and racking up a huge bill, you can go to an urgent care center. It's more expensive than seeing your primary care doctor, but it's the same day. Literally, you can pick kids up from school who don't feel well, take them to the urgent care, and get them seen. So it's a convenient option. But could you not imagine CVS expanding their pharmacy locations to include a full-blown clinic instead of just two rooms 
and offering a suite of options that are much more like a full-service medical clinic. Um, if that's what they're thinking of doing, it's pretty brilliant. They're going to really put some competition back in healthcare. Let's go to the phones. We have Kevin in Texas. Kevin, or Tennessee. You guys, I, I have no idea. Kevin in Tennessee, thanks for calling the show. <laughs> Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Doing well. Um, when I first started listening, you were talking about abortion. Mm-hmm. And I have an idea uh, that I'd like to see happen. I, I'm a Yankee living down here in the South, and i got a friend who's from, he's also a Yankee, so we kind of speak our minds, don't really worry about what people think. And uh, I don't know if you've ever gone on YouTube and looked at the uh, pictures of aborted babies. It's absolutely, it's absolutely horrific. It's disgusting. And I, if one, either one of us was a representative or a senator, we'd blow these, one of these pictures up, and the next time we were debating abortion, we'd, we'd just hold it up there and say, I challenge my colleagues to come up and defend this. This is what we're doing in this nation. And, of course, the left would be outraged. The media would be outraged. How dare you bring such a thing into the floor of the Senate or whatever? So they'd be making a point for us. Yes, it is horrific. That's why we should not be doing it as a nation, as a people. We have to stop this. Even if you don't bring God into the conversation, just the truth and the reality of what it is, when people see it, they're disgusted. Mm-hmm. And I wish one of our uh, people would do that. You know, I, I got to say, you know what it reminds me of, Kevin? During the Kavanaugh hearings, when he was being, I'm not, not the whole Christine Blasey Ford thing, although they did use visual aids for that too. During the parts where the, he was being questioned by the Democrats, they had all these lists of people who, these people are on the Federalist Society. Do you know them? These are some of the dark money funders. Do you, have you ever met with these people? And they had these big blowups of slides and things like that. And so it's not unheard of for people on the floor of the Senate to use visual aids. I can tell you, talk about being triggered, Kevin. We ain't seen anything yet. I bet you they'd have protesters descend upon the senators who brought that. But what we need is senators who aren't worried about protesters and who aren't worried about people getting mad at them who will do exactly what you said. Defend this, Kamala Harris. Defend this, uh, you know, Maisie Hirono. You say you want people out of women's bodies. What is this? And how did it get like this? And why are you defending it? Fantastic suggestion. I'd love to see them do it. We have to send them uh, maybe some phone calls up to their offices in D.C. and see if they're willing. Thanks for calling the show today. Yeah, I, boy, I just get, it just seems like there are better tactics than what we're using right now. Because right now we're still issuing these appropriations bills that fully fund Planned Parenthood. It's as if they have a stranglehold on the psyche of these people. So, again, I want to go back to Eric Holder. So the Washington Times is reporting on this. And it's just, I mean, it's pretty amazing. But, again, and no offense to anybody who's going to get offended, but here we go. Did you know that Eric Holder's wife actually owns abortion clinics? She does. That's, that's part of how they make their money as a family is they run abortion clinics, three of them. And so that means in addition to peddling abortion as elected official for him or as a, an appointee when he was the attorney general, he was also supporting abortion and profiting off of it because his wife runs clinics. So he says here, when they go low, we kick them. 
Former Attorney General Eric Holder said on Wednesday that Democrats need to be as tough as Republicans to win more elections. Michelle Obama always says, when they go low, we go high. No, no. When we when they go low, we kick them. And then the crowd cheered. Mr. Holder's comments came as he was speaking at an event to promote Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee for Georgia's gubernatorial race. He stressed that this new Democratic Party is proud as H-E double hockey sticks and has to be willing to fight. The reality is if we don't win, people that are less committed, less idealistic, less imbued with the values that make this nation really great will run this country. That's what Mr. Holder said. He said that if Ms. Abrams was elected governor, it would send a message to President Trump and get the nation to reject negativism and all the racial games they're trying to play. What racial games is he talking about? You know, here's the thing. If you're black in America right now, you already have the same kinds of problems that Hispanic Americans have and Asian Americans have and white Americans have and Muslim Americans and everybody else. We all have problems. This idea that somehow Donald Trump is inciting racism is simply not true. There's no proof for it other than, well, he said it and then the Washington Post reported on it. And so it's true. That doesn't make it true. So Republican Senator Cory Gardner pushed back against Mr. Holder's comments on Twitter, relating it to the violent threats aimed at his wife and other Republican colleagues. Mr. Gardner said, that's not who we are. He actually tweeted that out to Holder. On Tuesday, former Secretary of State and presidential nominee, Hillary Clinton, you already heard her comments from yesterday. She says we should uh, return the Democrats to power and then we can get our civility back. Um, And she says you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for. So what if we said that? Democrats want to destroy what we stand for. We stand for life. They want to destroy it. So, you know, you can't be civil with that. Just imagine the backlash if... If President Trump said, well, we can't be civil with these Democrats. They want to destroy what we're building. When they're down low and they're protesting and they're hitting you and doing whatever, kick them. Can you imagine the backlash? Can you imagine what Jim Acosta, he'd probably faint. And then when he woke back up, he'd start talking incessantly about the double standard and about how violent um, you know, the Democrats say the Republicans are. But where is the Republican violence? And don't tell me it's at the border. Don't, you know, that whole child detention thing is a function of bringing your child into the country illegally. It's not hard or mean or, or um, shocking for us to tell the truth about that. In fact, speaking of the border, here's some shocking information for you. Remember the wall that was we were told was too expensive for us to build as Americans, $20 billion. Now, these are the same people who they don't mind spending money on almost anything except national defense. But a border wall, well, that's a bridge too far. It's too expensive. It's not something we can afford. Well, it turns out we're paying more to cover the cost of illegal immigrants giving birth in the U.S. than Congress plans to give President Trump in border wall funding. This is according to an explosive new analysis of Census Bureau data. The new report reveals that women in the United States illegally had 297,000 children in 2014 at a cost of $2.4 billion. 
which is 800 million more than the Senate has approved for Trump's border wall this year. It's actually enough to pay for the border wall construction for 10 years. Which I'm also not understanding why we can't just spend 20 billion all in one fell swoop on the wall. We're spending all this money on other programs. Why can we not just spend the 20 billion all at once? Because Republicans don't want to. Remember, the Republicans are in charge. If they wanted to, they would. So then there's this crazy chart that they have here at the Washington Examiner. And the chart shows the 50 largest metro areas in the United States. And it's broken down by immigrant share of all births and illegal immigrant share of all births. In San Jose, California, over 55% of all the births are immigrants. The illegal immigrants are having 15% of the babies. So the top places where illegals are having the most babies and immigrants are San Jose, Miami, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland, West Virginia, Houston, San Diego, Seattle, Boston, Las Vegas, Sacramento, Dallas, Riverside, San Bernardino, Orlando, Chicago, Austin, and Raleigh, North Carolina. The places where the immigrant share of all births and illegal immigrant share of all births are the lowest are Pittsburgh, Birmingham, Alabama, St. Louis, Missouri, Cincinnati, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, Cleveland, Ohio, Kansas City, Missouri, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and Memphis, Tennessee. Build a wall. Come on, Republicans. Get on it. Let's get it done. All right. Good night from the heartland. God bless you. Let's pray for those who are placed in authority over us and have a fantastic night. 